definitely need to diversify, uh, look to diversify our market base for, for Canadian malting barley. There are other markets, uh, Colombia, uh, Peru and Ecuador are actually quite a large uh, barley importing uh, region, as is Brazil, which is not as accessible to us from a transportation perspective, but it's a large barley, malting barley import market um, that uh, we need to pay attention to. Hello folks, and welcome to the Growing Point Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin, the Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with the Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commissions. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the agronomic information from this and future podcasts brings value to you and your farm. So in this episode, we speak with Peter Watts, the Managing Director of the Canadian Malt Barley Technical Centre, the CMBTC. We talk about a variety of different marketing topics, including what happened with malt barley during COVID, which countries are we exporting malt barley to, where new demand for malt barley is, and future opportunities for malt barley marketing growth for Canadian malt barley, and really what those buyers are looking for in terms of malt quality. We also talk a little bit about new varieties and which varieties may be the next big thing and why that's important for producers to be aware of. And maybe even how producers can look at new varieties to make the most of potential future opportunities. So thanks for joining. Please rate and review the podcast when you get a chance and enjoy. So welcome to the Growing Point podcast. My name is Jeremy Boychin. I'm the Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with the Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commissions, and I am here today with Peter Watts. Peter is the Managing Director of the CMBTC. How are you doing today, Peter? Good. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure to chat with you. I know we've, we've worked um, on a few things in the past, so it's nice to, nice to have this conversation and kind of talk about some of these topics. But before we get into anything... Um, you know, maybe introduce yourself, introduce the CMBTC, who you are, who the CMBTC is, and maybe why producers should know um, who, the C- who the CMBTC is. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Peter Watts. I'm the managing director here at the uh, Canadian Malting Barley Technical Centre, which is based in uh, Winnipeg. Um, I've been working in the agriculture sector for about 25 years, uh, mostly in a uh, sort of market analysis or market development capacity. Um, and um, started here at the CMBTC in, in 2014. And so we are a uh, technical center supporting the malting barley or the barley value chain in Canada. We have uh, malting and brewing facilities here in, uh, uh, at the facility in Winnipeg. We have pilot scale, 50 kilogram pilot scale malting system and, and micro malting um, systems, as well as uh, pilot scale, micro and pilot scale brewing systems. So we evaluate the quality of Canadian uh, malting barley each year and new varieties. Um, we communicate that uh, uh, quality and uh, production and performance data to our customers domestically and around the world and support that the value proposition of, um, of the high quality product that uh, Canadian uh, producers um, are, are uh, marketing each year to, uh, to our customers in places like China, Japan, U.S., 
uh, Mexico and elsewhere. So that's essentially our, our mandate here at the CMDTC. No, I think that's a, it's a great introduction, Peter. And, and I think, um, you know, it's great for producers to, to be aware of the CMBTC. Um, so, I mean, inevitably with producing barley, malt barley, um, we are integrally connected to demand from consumers. Um, and we just went through quite the ups and downs of COVID and, and where uh, consumers are, are drinking their beer and how they're drinking their beer. Um, you know, what, what have we seen through COVID? What kind of effects has, has that had on the, on the malt barley market? Well, it definitely had a significant impact on uh, beer uh, consumption, uh, to some degree a negative in terms of overall consumption, of course, especially in the early days of COVID with the lockdowns and the uncertainty. Uh, but really the big impact that we saw uh, in, in North America, but uh, around the world was kind of a shift in beer consumption patterns away from venues with um, the closing of restaurants and bars, um, without sporting events and festivals. So all that uh, consumption that was occurring in those sort of public spaces was now shifting um, to, to a different space where people were buying beer at, at retail, at a retail level and then drinking at home. So while we did see negative impact on uh, beer demand and consumption uh, throughout COVID, it, really the big impact was the shift in where beer was being consumed and how it was being purchased. But that did have some pretty big implications for the industry because um, for particularly the craft industry uh, with sales in, in their tap rooms being a really important part of their revenue, the craft sector kind of had to pivot and figure out their business model um, during COVID uh, while those tap rooms were closed. So when you're selling a pint of beer in your tap room, the profitability of that pint is a lot higher than it is when you're selling through a retail uh, vendor. And so that presented some challenges to the craft guys. Um, and of course the big brewers suffered uh, who typically would sponsor sporting events and festivals. So you had a real significant drop um, in consumption. And a lot of that is draft beer consumption. So then we saw the shift from away from draft into cans and bottles. Uh, we ended up with a shortage of cans as a result. And so uh, brewers are scrambling to secure cans. Uh, so there was a lot of challenges uh, throughout COVID, but interestingly, purely from a absolute consumption standpoint, we only saw a small drop of probably less than 5% in North America over the course of COVID. And, and we're now seeing that uh, uh, recover as uh, we just enter the summer of 2022. We are seeing that uh, overall consumption is, is recovering to those pre-pandemic levels. Some countries like China are still well below their pre-pandemic levels uh, in terms of consumption. And they'll probably actually never entirely recover uh, in some of those markets. It's you know, I'm getting flashbacks, Peter. Of, I recently moved out of Calgary and, and I live right in the heart of, of Calgary in, in the Barley Belt. And before COVID, one of the most common things I did was head over to a brewery and, and drink right at the brewery and have a few beers and um, friends. And yeah, for those two years, I, I 
essentially didn't happen anymore. Right. And that's got to have an impact on, on, on that market. And um, all of a sudden I'm having to order my beer through my, um, my food ordering app. And it's just, yeah, it certainly changed um, how I consumed beer. So did this, I mean, you, you mentioned China maybe having a drop. Um, you know, how did this impact international markets from a Canadian perspective then? Well, it was interesting because the timing uh, also corresponded with uh, essentially an embargo uh, that was implemented by China on Australian barley imports. And Australia, of course, is um, a comparable size barley producer to Canada, but uh, typically a, a lar much larger barley exporter by volume. And China was by far and away their largest market. So with that 80% um, uh, tariff that was levied as a result of a sort of geopolitical dispute, let's call it, between China and Aus Australia, the, uh, the demand for barley from Canada actually increased um, from, uh, from the Chinese market right at the time that COVID was uh, hitting the, the uh, hitting us here in Canada and globally. So in spite of the drop in overall demand for beer consumption, Canadian malting barley sales or exports in 2020-21 were um, reached an all-time record level of, of over 1.5 million tons. And most of that demand was coming from China. So the Canadian producers probably didn't really feel the impact in that first year of COVID uh, on, on demand for malting barley and, and, and prices were, were pretty strong. So from an international trade standpoint, we didn't see a significant uh, impact on, on demand for malting barley uh, during that, that period of COVID. Very interesting. I, it, I mean, it sounds like it was rather tumultuous within within um, national sales and, and that market. Um, some changes were happening internationally. I guess my question here, Peter, is is how did that really affect the producer at the farm gate? Did we see any any challenges with marketing, um, or was it kind of maybe it all equaled out and there wasn't too much of an impact? But how how was how was that met at the producer level? I think that. I mean, again, I think the producers uh, probably didn't really see a big impact on, on demand uh, through that period. Um, again, because of that real sort of uh, shift to uh, uh, in, in, in purchases from, from China of, of Canadian barley with uh, Australia excluded from the market, I think where uh, Canada saw the uh, uh, the impact was really at the malt processing level. Canadian maltsters really felt the pinch uh, during COVID with the drop in demand from um, the U.S. Uh, market in particular. It's our largest market for um, malt exports and, and then followed by China and Mexico. And um, that was really where I think we saw from the malt barley value chain in Canada, the biggest impact was on the Canadian uh, maltsters who saw that uh, drop in demand uh, quite significantly initially in COVID and, and right through COVID. Um, so I, I don't think that the producers felt uh, really a big impact in, um, as a result of COVID because it was really the drop in demand for Canadian processed malt was offset by the increase in, in demand for Canadian barley from China. So we kind of, uh, uh, there, there were some offsetting factors there 
But the Canadian malting industry now is really just recovering at this point from uh, this these last two years of, of of lower demand, and of course, you know, coupled with the drought in 2021, it's been a tough couple of years for for Canada's malting industry. And now we've we've had some rain in Western Canada. Crops are looking not too bad, Peter. I feel like we're setting ourselves up for a good for a good year this year. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's a huge relief for everyone to see um, in the industry to see the the rains and the uh, resulting improvement in the crops. Um, even in areas where it was quite dry at the beginning of the season in southern Alberta and southwestern Saskatchewan, um, dramatic improvements. Uh, of course, the big concern everybody has right now is just the, the late seeding that for in many areas and the lateness of the crop. Um, so that's going to uh, potentially, you know, have uh, have some impacts at harvest if we're not taking the crop off until after. Uh, September 1st, which is obviously going to happen in, in a lot of areas. So uh, we're going to have a crop, there's no question, uh, but we all know that malting barley is pretty susceptible to uh, rains at harvest and uh, things like pre-harvest sprouting. Um, certainly some concerns around uh, whether fusarium is going to rear its ugly head again this year. Uh, so I think we're let's say cautiously optimistic at this point. This is where I cross my fingers, my toes and my legs, Peter, that uh, we have a nice open fall to manage this crop with. So, Yeah, exactly. You touched on it um, in terms of, of where maybe our international um, market really gets gets sold to. Who are we selling our own malt barley, malt bar, malt barley to? Um, and China is, is a, a big consumer of that. I think you said 1.5 million um, tons. Where else is our malt barley going? What markets are we really selling to? Well, historically, uh, I mean, in, in recent years, China has been by far and away the largest market for Canadian malting barley. And then that, um, in the past, a uh, little bit more distant past, the U.S. was quite a substantial market for Canadian malting barley. And then um, really uh, other markets like Japan and Mexico um, and a few others have been relatively small. It's, it's been largely China has been so dominant with respect to demand for Canadian malting barley in recent years that um, we really uh, have a fairly limited market base for, uh, for, for bulk malting barley. And in, even in the US that uh, demand has dropped off um, in the last five years. So it's, it's primarily China. Um, they've been taking over 90% um, of Canadian malting barley exports over the past few years. So it's a pretty, um, it's a little bit uh, disconcerting to have so much of your demand coming from one market. And, um, so certainly markets like Mexico, for example, fourth largest beer market in the world, um, you know, fast growing population. It's definitely a, uh, as a beer culture. Uh, it's a very important market now, uh, third or even maybe second largest malt market and uh, potentially a, a market for Canadian malting barley as well. So we definitely need to uh, diversify uh, look to diversify our market base for, for Canadian malting barley. Um, there are other markets, uh, Colombia, uh, Peru, and Ecuador, are actually quite a large uh, barley importing uh, region, as is Brazil, which is not as um, accessible to us from a transportation perspective, but it's a large barley, malting barley import market um, that uh, we need to pay attention to. And there's a, there's a few markets in South Asia, um, such as Vietnam, 
and South Korea uh, that have uh, sizable uh, malt barley uh, import programs that um, that we should be looking at as well. So there are some uh, up and coming markets and and some traditional existing markets where Canada hasn't really had a strong presence in recent years that we need to look at. Is there particular considerations as to why we haven't been a bigger player in some of those markets that are currently small that we could grow? Is it is it the price? Is it logistics? Is there a competitive product somewhere else that's, that's already filling that market? Or is the market just, do we need to grow that market through relationships? It's largely been price. Uh, driven. Um, Canadian uh, malting barley has traditionally been relatively expensive. It's a premium product uh, from a quality standpoint, and um, it's expensive for Canada to export grains, just the nature of our geography. So um, it's, and and then transportation costs uh, play into it quite significantly. Part of the reason why we're quite competitive in China is that the freight rates have been uh, very competitive compared with our um, compared with other suppliers on the world market. Uh, Whereas um, freight to uh, say Mexico from France is actually quite a bit cheaper than it is from Canada uh, or from France to Brazil, for example, or Australia to South Asian markets like Vietnam. Um, So, it's it's a combination of the the cost at the at the port uh, coupled with uh, transportation costs has meant that it's we haven't just not been competitive uh, in uh, in a lot of these markets in the past. Those things change obviously. Transportation costs uh, rise and fall. It has to do with supply. If we have a big crop, then our um, prices are definitely you know going to come down. Uh, but it it really it's largely price driven in a lot of these markets, but absolutely there's a quality aspect to it that we need to make sure that we are communicating to customers in, in these markets um, that uh, they can use Canadian malting barley as a as sort of a premium, uh, high protein, high enzyme uh, uh, product that uh, can offset maybe some of the lower quality um, product that they're getting from other origins. So there's definitely work we can do on that front. Um, uh, that's not related to just a purely a price point to get customers interested. I can't, I can't help but think, you know, some of the initial locations or, or markets that you mentioned um, are very much in that North America, South America range. Is there, I guess, is there um, some kind of benefit there to having um, maybe a more local market that is maybe less impacted by global policy instability is that is there value there as well or is that purely just coincidental that that the, some of those markets are are within that range do you mean a domestic market in canada well i mean somewhere like mexico which which is you know in the same you know in north america maybe transportation a little bit easier and and you know we're maybe creating some trade policy um that benefits you know both of those countries along with maybe the U.S. Um, yeah. Is that part of that decision-making at all? I th- oh, absolutely. I think so. I mean, for example, I mean, Mexico is accessible by rail from Canada. So, you know, and a lot of our malt, uh, well, most of the malt that's going to Mexico from Canada would be moving by rail. 
so, you know, that is a significant consideration. It doesn't have to be loaded onto a boat uh, at the port. It does create opportunities for us to develop that market in maybe a different way than we would with a, um, with a market that's only accessible, um, you know, by, uh, by seaborne trade. And uh, we do have the North American uh, free trade area. So uh, we do have, um, you know, good access to that market. Uh, so I, yes, definitely. It, it's, it's a natural market for Canada to work with. Um, whereas some of the more distant markets in Southeast Asia are more complicated, would be more complicated in my view to develop. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear, Peter. I, <clears throat> you know, we, as an industry in Canada, we, we put a lot of effort into breeding good varieties, good malt quality, best management practices. Um, we do have some of the best malt quality um, globally. Uh, is what we produce always aligning with the demands of, of uh, brewers and maltsters, um, you know, internationally and nationally? Do we, is that always, do we always fit that desire or um, are some of these markets looking for something different? I think that uh, Canadian malting barley is typically, uh, you know, recognized as a high quality and, and premium product. And I think most of the malting and, and brewing industry globally would be, uh, I think Canadian malting barley and, and malt would, would, would fit in terms of their quality requirements. Uh, it's, again, it's really just, it's a, it's a price point and a cost uh, issue so that um, other suppliers like France or Argentina or Australia that can produce and depending on transport costs, get product into those markets sometimes considerably less expensive. It's a trade-off uh, for those, those end users. And um, so absolutely we're meeting their the demands for quality for the most part. Um, it, you know, Canadian malting barley is generally a higher protein, higher enzyme uh, product than many other origins. And for the adjunct brewing sector, so the, the brewers that are using uh, other sources of fermentable sugars like rice or corn, they need those enzymes to break down the uh, starches into sugars. Um, that's not a consideration for the craft or all malt brewers. We're just using 100% barley malt. So that's why they tend to like their protein a little bit lower and their, their enzymes lower. But for the majority of the brewing industry globally, which is adjunct, the uh, Canadian malting barley is, um, is, is, a, is a very... Uh, suitable uh, product for them to to use in their uh, their malting and, and brewing industries. So yeah, we we have a great product. It's um, it's making sure that we're competitive uh, at uh, you know at a price uh, level that that uh, the buyer uh, doesn't scare the buyer away. Is you know this naturally kind of flows into the conversation of the question of of variety adoption. Peter, and I know we've seen varieties kind of um, come and then maybe flutter out. Um, they don't end up meeting that that quality aspect. Um, you know, even though we've we've spent time developing these varieties and, and implement these best management practices in Western Canada, um, you know, what's happening there? Why why aren't they meeting that that quality? And and um, you know, is there a way that we can kind of fine tune that? that process uh that it's it, this is uh this has been really an important question that we've been grappling with and 
in, in Canada for, for many years with new varieties. The challenge is that it's very different to uh, test um, a malting barley, a new malting barley variety at a micro scale in a lab uh, compared with at a, at a commercial production capacity. Um, and similarly, it's different um, growing a new variety in a plot in several locations compared to a producer growing, um, you know, 500 or a thousand acres uh, for uh, in, in different parts of the prairies. So the, the stars really have to align on a new variety um, in terms of the three major players that, that, that are going to want to use it. And that's producers, maltsters, and brewers. And if it doesn't work for any one of those, you know, the farmer might like it, the maltster might like it, and the brewer might be like, ah, it doesn't, you know, doesn't ferment. We got some fermentation issues, or the producer may not like it. Just doesn't have the yield potential, um, or it has variability in the malt plant. So, if any of in any of these points the new variety doesn't work, then it's probably not going to be successful. It's going to be difficult um, to get to gain widespread acceptance. So that that's our challenge, and we 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 need. That's why we need to work quickly in the early days uh, after registration to get a variety uh, scaled up to a level where you can do some commercial testing and then weed it out as quickly as possible. If it's not going to uh, work, then let's ditch it and move on. But um, you don't know that until you've had, you know, three, two or three or four years uh, of scale up and, and some commercial trials. So that's our challenge. Some investment and some some risk needed. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound and feel like an agronomist right now. But you know, talking about that that the three partner acceptance of that new variety, the the brewer, the maltster, and the producer, um, just makes me think of the disease triangle. And maybe we need to to brand something here, Peter, of, of the malt barley triangle. And all of these partners need to to kind of align to get that that perfect condition for. Um, a variety to really take hold and, and move along. Um, so that being said, knowing that the industry um, kind of as a whole has to work forward on some of these new varieties um, to see whether they'll have a fit and, and increase value for producers and, and for the Canadian malt industry or and, and brewing industry. Um, What's your recommendation to producers when looking at some of these new varieties coming to market? How might they approach um, adoption uh, to ensure, you know, they're, they're not putting themselves too much at risk, but they're leaving themselves in a position of opportunity if, if something does come uh, and work well? Yeah, well, I think the first step, uh, Jeremy, is for, you know, producers to do their homework and look at um, which new varieties are out there. Uh, talk to the local uh, buyer um, or seed company to get some uh, feedback on, you know, how that variety seems to be performing in their uh, region or area. Um, certainly we see different varieties uh, perform better in drier, wetter climates. So understanding that's important and the, and the disease packages and how that uh, might uh, benefit a producer on their farm. You know, and I, I always suggest, but I recognize this isn't always practical, that if a producer can do some test plots with a new variety um, compared to one that they're maybe familiar with, uh, I realize that can be a bit of a hassle, but um, might give them a good indication of how a, a new variety performs. 
um, on their farm. We have a recommended list, of course, at the CMBTC that we put out every year. And that recommended list is, is for producers uh, so uh, that they understand which varieties are in demand in the marketplace. So if you see a variety on the recommended list, it means that uh, that variety has been accepted uh, by the malting and the brewing industry. And they, we would still always recommend that a producer have a contract, uh, but for the most part, those varieties um, shouldn't have issues being, being selected. So I think, you know, it's, um, there's a combination of things producers uh, can do to, to find the right uh, variety and, uh, you know, talk to their neighbors about what success they've had and give us a call at the CMBTC anytime and ask us questions because we're happy to, uh, to give their, our feedback too on what um, we're seeing from a, uh, from, an, from a processing and quality standpoint. I think those are great recommendations. And I mean, what better way to get an idea whether you'll be successful with a variety other than, than trial it on your farm. And, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with a few producers and, and trial varieties head to head, um, not specifically malt barley, but on, on the wheat side. And, and, you know, there's sometimes it comes back as, as one heck of a surprise when you see quality and, and yield differences and even maturity differences. Um, and it doesn't always align with what you hear, you know, 50 miles to the north, things change, right? So getting that hands-on experience of how does this variety work in your region, your management, um, it, it, it really allows you to um, come in with a strengthened perspective of how you can move forward with this variety or, or whether it's worth trying something different. So I, I think that's- every, every producer has different soil conditions and um, you know, they want different amounts of straw. Um, and so understanding the attributes of the, the newer varieties, um, you know, is really key to figuring, finding one that just works well for you on, on, on your farm. So that being said, Peter, what new varieties are we looking at um, for adoption in, in Western Canada and Alberta that are kind of you know, there's great potential here. Um, we need to kind of push this through um, the market at this point and see how it really aligns with what I'm going to call now the malt barley triangle and see how it fits. Sure. So obviously Synergy uh, was a bit of a game changer. Uh, I mean, it was uh, registered, I think, in 2012, so that's 10 years ago now. But, um, you know, pretty significant yield increase uh, with that variety that I think um, it was really helped um, encourage malt barley production in, in Western Canada. Uh, and so now it's the second largest uh, variety by area after Copeland. And um, uh, subsequent to that, we had uh, uh, Fraser, uh, uh, Bow and, sorry, uh, Connect, Fraser and Bow registered in, 20, in the 2015-16 uh, time frame and those varieties are now uh, gaining relatively widespread acceptance. Uh, although I would say that really AAC Connect and CDC Fraser are the two varieties that are kind of rising to the top um, at this point at a, a commercial uh, scale level of acceptance and with producers. So Connect and Fraser uh, now been around for a little while and hopefully they are going to be sort of the next uh, mainstream varieties along with Synergy. And then when we look just a little bit further ahead now, 
Uh, we have varieties like CDC Churchill, uh, looking very promising, AB Brunette, um, more recently a variety called AAC Prairie uh, that was just registered. So these are some of the really promising varieties uh, on the horizon, all looking really good in terms of yield uh, and disease packages. From a processing standpoint at the CMBTC, they look really good. Um, so I think those are the future generations um, of, of varieties. So there's going to be a lot of uh, new varieties for producers to trial in, uh, in coming years. And we just have to, like you say, get that triangle uh, you know, in, in play so that we can quickly identify which of the varieties are going to work and um, communicate that to producers and identify which varieties are not going to work and, and make the tough decision to uh, pull them out earlier as opposed to investing uh, in them for too long and, and not getting the returns. So there's only so many varieties that we can have in the system uh, in, in Western Canada. You know, there's probably kind of a nice uh, number in there of uh, sort of four or five varieties uh, you don't want to have too many, uh, you don't want to have too few, but um, we need to find that, uh, that kind of magic number. It's the, uh, the 80% of the uh, varieties, or the 20% of the varieties that capture 80% of the market, right? That uh, the 80-20. So, um, no, this, is, this has been very informative, Peter, and I appreciate you taking the time. Is, is there anything else you want to say before we finish up today? No, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, Jeremy, and talk about uh, malt barley. And I'm uh, just looking forward to uh, the harvest of 2022 and having a, a crop to market again uh, after uh, the challenges of, of, of the past year. And I know that our customers around the world are waiting anxiously for uh, the Canadian 2022 uh, malt barley crop. And uh, here's, here's, to, uh, here's to a better year in, in, uh, in 2022. Perfect, Peter. And I know I, in the show notes, I'll, I'll put a link to those new ver that new variety list or the recommended variety list um, and the, to the CMBTC. So anyone who um, isn't as familiar can go take a peek. And I know that Alberta Barley uh, is working with the CMBTC to develop some, some new information about new varieties and, and how they compare to some older varieties. Um, and hopefully that'll be out for, for the fall or, or spring of next year for, for producers to take a look and get a better idea of, of how these varieties perform and, and what options there are. So um, keep an eye out for that. So thanks again, Peter, and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. Thanks for listening to the Growing Point Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a second to rate, review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. This helps us grow and get our message out. You can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to Alberta Wheat or albertabarley.com and sign up for our mailing list. This will help you stay up to date on all the agronomic information we share through articles, interviews, and the newsletter. See you next time.